who God gave jobs to do and prepared them to do it. And we're looking at their journey to get where God wanted them to be. And I'm thankful when God calls, He equips. We've heard that very often, haven't we? Who God calls, He equips. How many believe that they are called of God? Yeah. Somebody say, well, define that, <laughs> right? You're making you nervous, right? Yeah. We are, not only are we, we, we've been called to be saved, be born again. If you're born again this morning, you're called of God, right? The difference between what the Bible teaches and what Reformed theology teaches is that the Bible teaches God calls the world. God calls the world. He doesn't just call individuals. He calls the world. Whosoever will may come. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He has no pleasure, it says over in Ezekiel, in the death of the wicked. And I'm thankful for that. What a twisted God it would be, right? Who would say, no, nope, I hate you, and I will never choose you, but I love you, and I'll choose you. Right. Hey, listen, if that's who God was, it's, then fine, that's who He is, right? We, it's not like you can say, you know, people say, well, I don't, I don't like that God, so I don't want anything to do with Him. Well, you, if that's who He is, it's who He is, but thankfully that's not who He is. That's not what has been defined, that has been revealed in the Word of God of who He is. So we've been called, we've all been called unto God, we've all been called unto salvation, and... Uh, and on top of that, some have callings. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, I thank God for placing me in the ministry, right? And Paul had a specific role to play as a church planter across the world. And we look at that and you, you might say, well, that's not me. And then, yeah, and that's not me and that's not us. But there are other callings that we have, right? What, what's one of the callings that affects every person in this room? Who wants to give a shot at that one? What is the calling that affects everybody, Brother Earl? Amen. Yeah. There's a term there that we are, and you know this term. The Bible says we are all what? Ambassadors for Christ. Right? We're all ambassadors for Christ. You may not be a pastor. You may not be a, a, um, a missionary. You might not be in some type of full-time, um, quote, ministry that way. But if you're a born-again child of God, you've been called not only to be saved, you've been called to be a, a member of a body. Right, a, a foot laying out in the out, out in the yard has no no purpose in life. It needs to be attached to a body. Right? What happens if that foot lays out there long enough, not attached to the body? Well, it dies. It's of no use, and it dies, and it's useless. But we're we're called to be attached to a body. We're called ambassadors for Christ. And so we all have a calling in here this morning, and uh, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We, I could spend some time on what an ambassador is, right? He represents the country he's from, not the country he's going to. You know, so much, so, so many Christians today are representing the, the world they're supposed to be going to instead of the world that they're from, right? The one they're representing. They're out here. And what a, what a strange thing is that the ambassador of the United States uh, to, uh, to uh, say, Japan, right, was showing up to meetings and uh, dressed in the traditional or the old ancient traditional Japanese or uh, uh, attire, right? You'd be like, well, that's kind of weird, right? You are representing the United States. Now, if their ambassador came here dressed like that, we'd be like, yeah, well, of course, he's representing Japan. Wouldn't think a thing about it, right? You know how messed up we are today in Christendom? Christendom is that people are constantly looking like the world that they're trying to reach, supposedly, and... Uh, 
And they think the ones that, are, that try to attempt to, by the grace of God, look like who they represent, they think they're weird. <laughs> Isn't that backwards? It's so backwards. Anyway, we have all been called to be ambassadors of Christ. We've all been called to preach the gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We've all been called to do that and uh, to represent Christ. But God prepares us to do that. He sends us on a journey to do that. And every one of us in here have a life's journey. It's different than everybody else's. Joshua's journey was not Joseph's journey. It was not Moses' journey. It was not Abraham's journey. I go on and on and on, right? It's the same God and the same end goal to be used by God and to glorify God in their life and to bring others to the knowledge of, saving knowledge of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But our life's trail is different than the one next to us. Amen. And that's okay. That's good. Don't look at somebody else's life and go, boy, I wish that was mine. Well, if, if God's preparing them for something, don't worry about it. Right? And he's preparing you for something. Yeah, but I, did, I just didn't have that great of a family growing up. Well, he used you. Do you think Joseph had a good, good go, go at it? Right? Do you think Moses had a good go at it? His, his adopted dad was a total pagan. That's what he grew up in. Right? So... Don't worry about that. Remember when, when Jesus, I, I find this, I find great humor in it actually. Jesus had just got done with a really touching moment with Peter, calling him back, right, after he went away. And, and he's dealing with Peter and he said, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, right? And at the very end of it, it's like, this is beautiful. And Jesus goes, John's coming along and, Jesus, and Peter goes, well, what's he going to do? It's like, Jesus says, Peter, what's it matter what he does? I've told you what to do. Don't worry, don't worry about him. Worry about what I've told you to do. Listen to me this morning. Don't worry about somebody else's, how, how their journey looks, right? Worry about your journey. And the fact of the matter is, God has orchestrated and worked in your life. Well, you say, well, I've made mistakes to get me here. Well, okay, yeah, and God can use that too. He's bigger than your mistakes. He's bigger than your sin, right? And if you would, uh, uh, you know, the Bible says a righteous man... Uh, falleth seven times and getteth up again. And, and that's the mark of a righteous man. Not that he doesn't fall. The mark of a righteous man is when he falls, he gets up again. Right? Isn't that, isn't, isn't that encouraging? Right? You think, boy, I've, I've messed up more than seven times. Well, yeah, in about an hour. I, I can meet that in about an hour. Right? <laughs> so, anyway, thankful for that. And so God is using our life. And here I want to look at today the life of Joshua. A little different setting, a little different life. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to get there in just a little bit, and, uh, but let me start with, I want, to give you a, I want to give you a little background of an individual of whose life that God used, and kind of a, a life that you wouldn't have thought of if you were a contemporary of him. We read his, uh, books about him now, and are, are kind of in awe, but if we lived with him on a day-to-day -day basis at that time, we might not be that excited about it, right? And uh, is about the 19th century, 1800s English. In England, I mean, not English. 1800s English. <laughs> in uh, the 1800s in England, there was, there was a man who was a cobbler by trade. And this cobbler here, also he pastored a little small Baptist congregation there in England. And he, he was consumed with getting the gospel to people and getting gospel really to the entire world. And he said uh, one time in the quietness of his little cobbler shop, he was obviously a bivocational pastor, in the quietness of that little shop, God began to deal with his heart and began to work on him. And uh, 
he really believed that it was the duty of every man who believed the gospel to make it known. It was the duty of every man to make it known throughout the whole world. And, and it was in that little cobbler's shop that this Baptist pastor, he said, oh, he was already called. Oh, yeah, he was. He already had a ministry, yes, but God is bringing him something beyond that, right? And, and beyond it's something more. God wanted something more out of him. And in that little cobbler's shop, this man said, uh, like Isaiah, here am I, Lord, right? Send me. And uh, he kind of was ridiculed. He was a little bit rejected. Missions back then wasn't like we look at missions today. It wasn't, they weren't these great heroes that we look at today. And, and uh, uh, there was a little bit different. They didn't have sending agencies. They didn't have uh, th- money to, you know, in, in other churches uh, to kind of as a safety net to lean back on. When they went out, I tell you what, they went out by faith. It was, it was a huge thing. But throughout one sermon, he preached this constantly throughout the land of England over and over again. He preached this one, was one phrase, this one title, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Are you, what are you expecting? We're going to look at this morning in the morning service the, uh, another subject of somebody who's living in expectation of the Messiah. Uh, what do you expect? What, do you, what kind of expectation are you living in this morning? What are you What are you expecting God to do in your life? Do you feel like I'm at the end and I'm just coasting, right? Or uh, I feel like uh, maybe there's not much left for me to learn. Isn't that a weird thing to think about the eternal God, <laughs> right? And uh, so what are you expecting from God? Is there some deliverance? Is there, is there somebody in your life that needs to be saved? Is there some need that you need in your life that God is trying to work out that you're expecting? What kind of expectation are you living in? He lived, this man lived with this thought on his mind at all times, expect, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I'm talking about the man, William Carey. William Carey it was who went from England and uh, went out in to the world of missions. There he went over into India and uh, spent most of his life there. What a, what a great testimony he has had over there. And uh, when he came to a crossroad, here's the point of it all. When he came to a crossroad, he had to determine whether he was going to choose between serving God as a missionary or serving God, staying in England. Isn't that interesting? I love when God brings us to to a crossroad uh, of not not the bad or not the bad or the good, but the good and the best. Most of our failures are not between bad and good. Most of our failures are between choosing the good over the best, right? And so here he was at a crossroad. I believe it was uh, it was um, not B. H. Carroll, but it was. Uh, I just went blank. The other guy from England. Anyway, he, was at, he felt like he was at the same crossroad in his life. It, did he go to America or did he stay in England? And, and uh, he stayed in England. And uh, G. Campbell Morgan was the guy I'm thinking of. There he is. He had a choice. Crossroad. We all come to crossroads in life. And here he was, William Carey. Came to a crossroad and uh, he chose to go with God. And so when we look at Joshua's life, we see that this comes into our life as well. Joshua came to crossroads. We all come to crossroads, right? 
Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel when he said, How, how long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, serve Him. If Baal be God, then follow Him. People wouldn't even answer him. <laughs> they were going to make a decision there, right? And uh, so in Joshua 1, here it is. We find the children of Israel. They're at a crossroad. Moses has been uh, God's leader for them for these 38 and a half years, right? And it comes time that God says it's time for Moses to die. And uh, God has appointed Joshua to take over for Moses to lead Israel into the land of Egypt. And when you look at the life of Joshua, when you look at his life, you can see, as you look back, God preparing him for the job. Now, it's easy to see preparation for a job like leading a million and a half people into the promised land. But what about preparation, right, for what you're doing in your life right now? Doesn't seem so sensational, doesn't it? Just taking care of parents? That, that doesn't seem like anybody goes, yeah. You know, that's not something at a, some big preacher's meeting. They walk you across the platform to, to let you know that, yeah, you know, what you've been doing, right? With the, with, the, with the roof being raised off and everybody excited about it, right? Like they would if some church planner come up and said, we saw, you know, 40 saved last year and 50 added to the church. And everybody's, ah, right? Right? You can say, well, let's see the preparation of God in their life for that. That's awesome. What about just sitting in your parents' house day after day, right, sister? God prepares for that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't minimize where God has you. Don't ever do that. And so here in Joshua's life, Joshua has been, is being prepared by God. And that's what we want to look at, not necessarily going to the promised land. I want to look at the preparation that we've been. Notice this about Joshua here we are in Joshua chapter 1, look at verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people under the land, which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses." And so I like this here in verse 1, right off the bat, you notice this. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the only guy without a dad. The Joshua, the son of Nun. Sorry, that's dumb. Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses minister. Moses minister. Do you see that? Listen, you know, you know who God seems to choose? Those that are already busy. Those that are already working for him. Those that are already laboring in the vineyard, laboring in the field. He finds those that are already doing Sunday school classes. He finds those that are already passing out tracts. He finds those that are already dealing with people on a one-to-one -one basis. He finds those that are already busy about inviting people to church. I mean, he just finds those that are busy. And this, look at this, with, with, and you'll find this over and over through the Word of God. And you'll find this looking out over your own experience of people that God puts into different places of service for Him, right? They're already busy serving God. And this was Joshua. He was the minister of Moses. He was already busy. He had a great resume before he ever came to this job of bringing the people into the promised land. Do you realize when Joshua came to Moses and Moses uh, chose Joshua to help him, I, I do not believe at any point in time Joshua thought, yeah, this is good because when this whole guy is gone, I'll be able to take over. Right? 
He had, listen, Israel had every thought and intention that Moses was the one leading them in. He was the man of God that was taking them into the land. Joshua had no aspirations of being in leadership. He just had aspirations of serving God right where God put him. And I'll tell you what, God loves that. God loves that. Serve him right where he puts you. Serve him at the factory. Serve him at the, at, the, at the plant with the machinery. Serve him driving down the road and being angry at people and wishing they'd learned how to drive, right? Brother Jim, serve him in the lab when you drop this stuff off. Serve him. Hey, just serve him where you are, right? Don't worry about the next thing. This was Joshua, uh, his resume. He had a great resume. What, what was the resume? Well, number one, he was proven, right? Remember they first came into the, the first time they came to the promised land to go in and it was only him and Caleb? They said, yeah, so what? The giants are big. So what? Big deal. God gave us the land. Let's go. Right? And uh, boy, they had a, think about this. They probably had a million point four one point four nine 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 eight people against them. Just him and Caleb. Right? And uh, he had a proven resume. This, this, listen, you talk, somebody lives by faith, that's who God wants. That's who God wants. He had a great resume. He was proven. He was a servant. I said this. He, he didn't care about being number one. I've said this to people. I think I've mentioned to, to my kids at times here and there. Learn to be the best number two in your life. Learn to be the best second man. Nobody's really number one. I don't care if you get to the top of the company, you still have somebody over you. You will always answer to somebody else in your life. You say, well, I own the company. Great. Then all of your clients are now your boss. You, now you have even more. I found out. <laughs> it's amazing, right? So what do you do? This is Joshua's resume. He was a servant. He learned to be the best number two he could be. He, believed, he learned to be the best second man. He could be the best second woman you can be. Whatever you're doing, learn to be the best, watch, under, being the best under somebody else, not striving always to be number one. You know what? Those people that are always striving to be on the top, really, number one, it's a miserable life. And you know what? They really, they, whether they think so or not, they think they arrive, but they really never do. Because you always have somebody telling you what to do. Yeah. Uh, he was a servant. He was a servant. Joshua was patient. He was patient. I want to show you this. I got to find where I've got this. Look at Exodus 24. Exodus chapter 24. Moses is going up Mount Sinai. God's going to give him the ten, the ten Commandments. And it says, Moses, verse 18... Exodus 24, 18. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. You can flip over. I'm going to read quickly, but you can flip over there to Exodus 32. Listen to verses 15 through 17. And Moses turned and went down from the mount. And the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And, Joshua, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. So we see here that Moses was coming down from the mountain, and Joshua was not up all the way with Moses. He couldn't have been. 
He was halfway, watch this, waiting for him. In the 40 days and 40 nights that Israel couldn't wait for Moses and made themselves a golden calf and began dancing and all the stuff that was going on there at the bottom of the mountain, Joshua was patiently waiting for Moses to come back. You know what? It's one thing to wait with some help. Yeah, some encouragement. Waiting all alone is one of the most hard th- it was one of the hardest things to do. Wait, watch when every waiting when everybody around you is saying don't wait is one of the most difficult things to do. Yeah. Wait, I say. Wait on the Lord, the Bible says. He was patient. This was in his resume. I mean, this is what God's looking for. Somebody who'll just wait on him, right? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait upon the Lord, waiting for Him. And actually that word wait has, a, has an aspect to it of not just sitting there waiting, twiddling your thumbs. Watch. It has the aspect of a meaning of being a servant, like a waiter at a table. Wait on the Lord. You know what Joshua was doing? He wasn't just sitting there on the mountain twiddling his thumbs while he sat doing nothing. He wasn't doing nothing. By him sitting there waiting, he's serving. Why? Because he's doing what God told him to do. Right? And so here he is. He was a proven sir. He was proven. He was a servant. He was patient. Not only that, we see here he had a vision. Listen to Numbers 14. Numbers chapter 14, 6 through 10. And Joshua the son of Nun, the Caleb, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that had searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake to all of the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. But the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before the children of Israel. Joshua had a godly vision. What is a godly vision? He didn't see an apparition. He didn't see, uh, you know, a, uh, um, what are those things called? A mirage in the desert. I saw a mirage once. Did I ever tell you about that? I think I did. When I was in Israel, I saw a mirage. I was at a... We'd been there about six, seven days, and uh, we was at a hotel and eating breakfast that morning. And I went to the breakfast bar, and they're generally uh, very underwhelming, the breakfast there. It's like fish and salad and cheese, and it's like, huh. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, this is Israel, I saw a bowl of bacon. And I was like, oh, and I went that way. I got like five steps, and it was a bowl of beets. I was like, oh, I was just longing for bacon but you're not going to find that much of that in Israel. Anyway, and not that kind of vision. I'm not talking about that kind of vision. You know, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. I've heard a lot of wrong messages preached on this. That you've got to have a dream, and you've got to have a plan, and you've got to have a vision for the future. And nothing wrong with any of those things, but it's not what the verse is talking about. That word vision means an open revelation of the Word of God. Where there is no open revelation of the Word of God... The people perish. You see that? The Bible says over, I believe it's in, uh, um, over in uh, Judges 
1 Samuel opens up, I believe, and there was no open vision in the land. Remember, Judges ended with uh, that all the people did that which was right in their own eyes. And 1 Samuel opens up, I believe it is, with there is no open vision in the land. There is nobody preaching, exposing the revealed word of God. So Joshua had a vision, right? It wasn't, it wasn't something uh, he, he saw in a dream at night. It was a revelation of the word of God. What did he live by? God said, go into the land, it's yours. It's yours. He had already told them it was theirs. Joshua believed it. That's a pretty good resume. You know what, you know what God likes about those you know, you know He loves to use? Those who know His Word, believe His Word, and live by His Word, and act on His Word. Kind of comes like into James, isn't it? When he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. What's he saying? What, faith is made evident by action. Because talk is cheap. You can say, well, I believe God, and I believe the Bible, and I'm just, I believe this, and I believe that. But if you don't live it, you're not believing it, right? You've got to live it. You've got, absolutely got to live it. And so this is the resume of Joshua. He was proven. He was a servant. He was, he was patient. He, was, he had a vision. He, he loved the Word of God. He believed the Word of God, and he lived the Word of God. Does any of that mark your life? You don't have to have all of them. Do you have any of them? Do I have any of them? Do you, do you have a past that God says, yeah, I like, there's faithfulness. There's faithfulness. Yeah, God comes by and says, there's a servant. There's a servant of mine. They just, they, 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 no, it doesn't say they do it all right. But the inner direction of the heart is they just want to serve God. Right? He was a servant. He was patient. How good? This is a tough one. See, that's number letter C. Maybe we can just cross the letter C out. Patient. That's the worst one right there. Right? Yeah. A vision. Are you living the Word of God? This was in Joshua's resume. This was what, hey, this was the preparation for what God wanted to do with him. You realize when Joshua goes into the promised land, he may be pretty close to the age of Caleb, close to 80 years old. there's nothing left for me to do. Oh, contraire. <laughs> you don't know what God's preparing you for. Yeah. What do you think about that Sunday school teacher that led D.L. Moody to the Lord? Do you think he had any idea? What about, what about that gypsy, Gypsy Smith, who got led to the Lord in some gypsy camp here to preach? I mean... I mean, what, what about Hyman Appleman, that, that, that Jewish attorney, that very, very accomplished Jewish attorney who was empty in his life and found Christ and, and traveled the country preaching. What a powerful preacher he was. Who, I mean, listen, you, you don't know who God has for you at the middle of your life or at the end of your life. I went to see the Perkins last week and on his table, there's always three tracks, <laughs> and he'll give one out at the nursing home. He'll give one out, and once if one's gone, he gets another one. He always has to have three there on his table, <laughs> okay? And he just keeps feeding them, feeding them, feeding them, feeding them. Friend, I just said it yesterday. The Word of God is the seed, and the seed has all of the power in and of itself to bring forth fruit. Brother Perkins, at 91 years old, has no idea if one of those nurses will take the gospel and get saved. 
If one of those doctors will take the... He has, listen, friend, you have no idea. You know what he's doing? He's just being a servant. And he's just being patient where he is, waiting for heaven, right? With a vision to be obedient to the Word of God. God likes that. And you know it's evident in his life because he's still just trucking right along doing the same thing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Joshua's resume. He had a great resume. He had a pretty big responsibility as well. Yeah. He used to provide leadership. I better, I'm going to hurry up here and just kind of skim over some stuff and give you some highlights. Provide leadership. We know his, his, uh, his uh, philosophy and his heart about his own family and leading his family. Joshua 24, he said, Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I love this. One of the most, listen, one of the most successful things you can do as a parent is to have this heart as Joshua. Watch this now and, and hope you understand this. I don't really care what you do. I'm serving God. You say, well, I care what my kids do. Well, yeah, I do too. Absolutely. But listen, the direction of our children should never dictate our direction with God. Joshua told Israel, his family, this was his family. Go ahead and choose. What's he saying? Choose to come or choose to stay. I don't care. What's it, what was he saying? I don't, it, doesn't, it matters to me. It affects them absolutely. There would be sorrow if they chose the other way. But he is saying, it doesn't matter what you choose. Your choice is not going to dictate me serving God. It'll help you. Yeah. Sometimes it's the greatest thing you can do for a child or for an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or a mother or a father. It's the greatest thing you can do. Boy, there's a lot I want to say here, but it's not the point. Let, let's go on. He led his family. He leads people. He was just, hey, listen, he, 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 was just, he was in leadership. How did he learn such leadership? Well, he was a great follower. The best leaders are the first, first the best followers. Yeah. You just got to learn to say okay. You just got to learn to follow. You got to learn to say yes, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Maybe a lot of children have having struggled following like they ought to because they haven't seen following. They haven't seen mom follow dad. They haven't seen dad follow God. Hmm. Yeah. Joshua, we're talking about proven leadership and responsibility here in Joshua's life. He was a, he was a, he was a leader in the family. He was a leader among his, his relatives. He was a leader there. And, uh, and then secondly, the responsibility of Joshua was was to claim the promises. He said, listen, this is what God gave us. We're just going forward. With, watch, I'm going forward with or without you. Right. I'd love it if you come along. Oh, you wouldn't believe how much I'd like it if you come along. If you don't come along, it's probably, yeah, it'll hurt my heart. And I'll, I'll hate it, but I'm still going on. I'm going on. Claim the land. Yeah, conquer the enemy. Boy, there are those I've read in the past that there are those military, those that are expert in war, said Joshua is one of the greatest 
examples you could study of a military mastermind. Obviously, he was following God, right? But he was, he was incredible. He knew how to conquer the enemy. And Israel's watching this. Watch this. His family's watching him. There's so much more application here than we're going to look at today. His family is watching him claim promises. His family is watching him conquer enemies. His family is watching. You know what it says of Joshua? When he died, right? That generation followed him. Not of him. That generation continued to follow God. And the generation after continued to follow God. I know this is a different set of people than what Moses had. I get that. But boy, Moses struggled the whole time, right? And here Joshua came along. Why? He had the, he, listen, he, he had, a, look at the resume. He was going to serve God. He was going to look, he, he showed the people how to claim the promises of God. He showed the people how to conquer the enemies, right? I wonder if our family, I wonder if our relatives, I wonder if those who live around us ever see us claim and, and conquer and claim the, the promises that God has for us. If they ever see us conquer the enemies and know how to do it. Know how to battle, know how to war, know how to, know how to have spiritual battle, and know how to be successful in that. They watched it of Joshua, they learned it. He had a resume, he had great responsibility. I'm talking about God's preparing this guy. Third thing, though, he we see here is the resources that he had. What were his resources? Can I tell you this morning? The good thing about God's, uh, Joseph, or, uh, Joshua's resources is that he had the same resources we have. Listen, right? You go into a war zone and you have no ammo, you're in trouble. If you have ammo, you're doing better. You know how you're really doing better? You're doing better if you have ammo and air support. You have, you're doing a lot better if you have ammo and radio support and so you can communicate and air support and uh, submarines and ships sitting off the coast. I mean, you're doing a lot better than you are just dropped off and all you have is a gun and about five rounds of ammo and you're done. I watched a documentary one time, and my cousin was there in Grenada when they invaded Grenada. And I watched a whole documentary on it. And the thing is, those guys in the governor's mansion, they were running out of ammo. They were surrounded, running out of ammo, waiting for other teams to get there. And boy, that's a scary place. It really is. Joshua, Joshua had resources, and so do we. It's the same one. Number one, he had the presence of God. The presence of God. I love what Moses said. Remember when God said, hey, you know what? You're not going to go into the promised land and I'm not, I'm not going to do it. No, he said, I'm not coming with you from here on out. I'm done with these people. I'm not going along. And Moses said, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. I don't want to go. What a way to live a life. That should be our life. I don't want to live tomorrow if, you're not going to be, if I'm not going to have your presence. I don't want to look forward to it in two weeks if I'm not going to have your presence. I'm not going forward. I don't want to go forward without your presence. Joshua had the presence of God. Listen to Hebrews 13. Let your conversation, your lifestyle, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I've pointed this out before. I feel like I ought to point it out again. But if, if you notice the connection here, covetousness is linked, is linked to the assurance you have of the presence of God. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Covetousness is linked to insecurity. If you don't believe in the promises of God, 
You're going to want everything else to try to help you have something tangible to hang on to that makes you feel secure in life. Yeah. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Zechariah 4, 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Joshua, Joshua had the presence of God. Listen to the story I told you about D.L. Moody earlier. Listen to this. I'll read it for you. The story is told of some preachers who many years ago were discussing D.L. Moody and the possibility of inviting him to speak at one of their meetings. One of the preachers who opposed asking D.L. Moody, somewhat critically asked, does D.L. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? To which an older and wiser preacher replied, no, the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. I like that. Do you have a monopoly on God? No, hopefully he has a monopoly on you. Hopefully he does. God told Moses, go forth and I'll be with thee in thy mouth. And I'll be with thy mouth. <laughs> right? He went with him. Joshua 1.5, God told Joshua, you go into the land, you take the people in. And he said this, and I will be with thee. Sometimes you ever hear anybody pray, say, Lord, would you be with, would you be with, would you be with, would you be... And sometimes it almost gets cliche, and you're like, what, are they, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Whether you realize it or not, what you are asking for is for the presence of God to be in their life. And it is so, so necessary. God told Jeremiah, verse 19 of our chapter, And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. So we saw God's presence. It's a great resource. Same resource we have today. Here's the last resource that he had, and the same resource we have today. And it's the preserved word of God. Amen. The preserved word of God. Matthew 5.18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass away, till heaven and earth shall pass, not one jot, nor one tittle shall pass, and no wise shall in no wise pass, till all the law be fulfilled. Let me find it and read it for you, because I just butchered that. Uh, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. The jot and the tittle, the comma, like we call a comma and a period. Jesus said not one of those is going to pass. Thankful for the preserved word of God. What did he have? Joshua had the word of God. God came to him and said, you go forward. You take these people in the land. I will be with you. What did he have? He had the word of God. It was his resource. Right? We have the same thing today. You know what's even better? Peter said, coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, we have a more sure word of prophecy. You know, we have, we have the written, preserved Word of God. It is, it is preserved, it is inspired, it is perfect, it is without error, and we have it today. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Good resource. Yeah. It's the only resource we need, you know that. It's the only one we need. So look at the life of Joshua, would you? God has a plan for your life still, Right? He still has things ahead of him. After, hey, after Joshua and the children of Israel got in the land, it wasn't over. Right? There was battles to fight. There was victory to get. There was land to proclaim. There was still work to be done. I've told you this before. The, the crossing of the Jordan is not, not, going into, it's not a picture of going into heaven. 
It's going into a promised land. It's going into a place of victory where it says over in Hebrews, there is therefore now remaineth, therefore now remaineth a rest for the, for the people of God. Israel has missed this rest, right? And we have the rest in Jesus Christ. But listen, this is not a picture of going to heaven. It's a picture of going into a victory and to a promised land that God has for you. Listen, if you are still breathing this morning, God has a plan for your life. He has something as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He's using your life. He's using your past. He's using the journey that you've lived on. You've got a resume. He has responsibilities for you. And you have resources to fulfill the responsibilities that God wants in your life. Maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker, right? It may be somebody at the grocery store, maybe an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a brother, a sister, a child. God has a plan for your life to use you, to use you. And uh, would you do this? Would you be like a Joshua and just serve him? Just serve him. We're ambassadors for Christ. He's prepared us for this. You say, I don't feel very prepared. Listen, he has prepared you for what he has brought in your life. He hasn't prepared you for what he's brought in somebody else's life. So, well, I couldn't do that. Well, he hadn't called you to do that. Don't worry about it, <laughs> right? Just worry about getting to your neighbor. Don't worry about starting a church in, in you know, Zimbabwe, okay? Just worry about your neighbor right now. Amen. Yeah. And we have the resource. Thank the God. Thank the Lord for that. Our Father, thank you this morning for a great reminder. We look at the life of Joshua. What a great reminder that, Lord, you, that we belong to you and you have a role for us to play and a job for us. We have people to reach. We have a gospel to preach. Uh, we have a, a Father to glorify. And, Lord, uh, you brought us along, each one of us, in our own path. And you've, you're molding us and using us and preparing us. And though the pre- preparation of maybe... 20 or 30 years ago was for one thing. Maybe there's some new preparation going on today because there's something coming up here in our future that you have for us as well. We know we're still alive here, so you have a role for us to play, a job for us to do. And so as you mold us and make us and prepare us, we pray we'd be as, a, uh, as that, that moldable clay and allow you to do in our life what you will. And Lord, as we see you're working in our life that we don't understand it at times, May we look at it with this hopeful expectation, knowing you have, you have a job for us to do in somebody else's life. For somebody's watching us, somebody's following us, and uh, you're using us in a great way. We pray you, we'd let you to do that. We thank you for what you're going to do and what you have done. And I just pray for this, you'd encourage us today in this, in Jesus' name, amen.